1: Yeah Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where, as you plan out your cyber Black Friday shopping this holiday season, looking for the best deals, you'll be hard-pressed to find anyone better than one Robert Alistair Palenka and his shrewd coupon-clipping ways when it comes to nabbing the best bargain steals. And holy shit, man of stealing has he been since the start of free agency last Friday. And if anyone's been watching Queen's Gambit on Netflix, Palinka's been pulling a Beth Harmon and laying absolute waste to everyone in his path by just using a bunch of pawns. And with that, I can definitively say that this has been the best Lakers free agency offseason stretch coming right off a championship that this franchise has probably ever had. I mean, we got Trez Harrell, and he's not even the best Trez on the team. Tommy, Trez Tinkle. Did you ever, in your wildest dreams, think we could nab a guy like this?
2: Never thought we would have a Montanian. Is that what you call someone from Montana?
1: Yes, Montanian.
2: Montanian, like uh, Mr. Tinkle, and I am I feel pr-
0: very privileged that he's on our team.
1: Alan, what about you? Does he bring a tinkle to your eye?
0: Oh, it's a, it's a tinkle to more than just my eye, I can tell you that. <laughs> I'll just leave it there, sir.
1: And a tinkle this Lakers team has brought to more than just our eye. My God, it is lit, fellas. It is lit. Uh, Welcome to the Lakers Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Alan Riley and Tommy Alexander. Um, Alan, did you ever think that we could have the feeling of winning two championships in the span of one month. And I never thought that free agency could make me feel this way and obviously don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Um, But it sort of feels like we won another championship or at least we won the title for free agency.
0: Yeah, um, it kind of feels like when the Lakers and the Dodgers won championships within like 16 days of each other. So right. uh, I'm starting to get really, really comfortable with this winning thing. And uh, the fact that the season starts in about a month from now, let's just keep this thing rolling.
1: Yeah, Tommy, are you, I'm obvi- I mean, obviously you're still riding that high, but I know we always say this in terms of like, we've never experienced or felt anything like this before. But this time I feel like we, we truly mean it. Yeah, the
2: last time I remember being this shocked by what happened in free agency I think we were in high school and we signed Gary Payton and Carl Malone. That was like the last time where I was like, I did not see that coming. Usually there's some preview or like, you know, obviously we had all those years where we had like a billion dollars of cap space, right? And we never did anything as exciting as we all kind of hoped. But this year has, has just been the wildest by far.
1: Yeah, that's a good comparison—the Carmelo and Gary Payton year—and that was off of a championship loss. This is off of a championship win, which yeah. is even more even more remarkable. And obviously, we'll get into it. So obviously, we've had to make some swift goodbyes to some key, lovable figures from last year's time as we bid adieu. And a huge thank you to Quinn Cook, Rajon Rondo, Avery Bradley, JaVale McGee, Dwight Howard. Welcome back, then. Just kidding. <laughs> kind of Dwight Howard. Um, and in their stead, we have upgraded each guy in the most brazen way possible, most obnoxious and arrogant way possible, with Dennis Schroeder, <laughs> Wesley Matthews, disrespect. exactly, Montrez Harrell, and Mark freaking Gasol. And now the Lakers have the sixth man of the year, the reigning six man of the year in Trez, and the runner-up for six man of the year in Dennis Schroeder on the same team as well as perennial first-team defender, NBA champion, and brother of Laker legend Pau Gasol, all on the same team. Yeah, I mean, quickly before we get into the the meat of this, um, Alan, you know, usually with this much turnover, typically it can be seen as a worrisome thing, but in the Lakers' case, it's kind of like a turn-up turnover, with that turn-up being quite evident amidst the identity of this team sort of changing quite a bit, uh, whether we're talking stylistically or chemistry-wise, but... How do you feel about that? And also, first, what do you think I titled this episode?
0: (laughs) (laughs) You put me on the spot like that. Uh, I'm gonna guess it has nothing to do with Tinkle, so we can we can get Mm -hmm. that one out of the way. (laughs) Right. Um, I don't know. I'm gonna have to come back to that one. But to answer the first question, um, you know, chemistry was a big question for this last team at the beginning of the season too. Um, it was pretty much a brand new team from the year before. And the year before, I mean, LeBron was injured and Rondo was injured and, you know, um, Kuz was pretty much the only one with like KCP from two seasons ago, which now feels like five. So, uh, you never want to take for granted and just assume, well, because it worked out with this championship team chemistry wise, this upcoming team, uh, that's looking to repeat will probably be fine chemistry wise. We don't know that, but, uh, I mean, if we're just going to go based on past behavior and how everything played out, it's the same coaching staff. It's the same leadership, right, with the, with the, the team, with the exception of Rondo, I would say, as far as mm-hmm. leaders go. Uh, so I'm not concerned at all. If you want to search for a reason to be worried, I suppose that's something. But um, my bet is that we'll be all right. And I still don't have an answer for the title of this episode. That's
1: okay. So I was talking about the turnover, all of these new faces coming in. We've got Montrez Harrell. So I'm going to title this episode, "Trespassers Welcome. Oh, hey. nice. Nice. I like that. <laughs> Solid. Trespassers Welcome. All right. So tonight's episode, we're getting into all of the Lakers' newest acquisitions individually and talking about what an unfathomably remarkable job Palenka did on the fly, to not only restock for next year, but also leave room for a sustainable foundation for the future of this team as well. We'll get into more deeply analyzing this Lakers team as a whole and how we envision everyone clicking in, conjunct- in conjunction in another episode. But for now, we'll kind of try and more focus on each acquisition independently. Uh, but before we get to all that, as usual, please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate interview us five stars on the Apple Podcast app. If you have any questions or topics regarding free agency and this new Lakers team that you want to throw our way, that you want us to address, please leave it in the comment section of your review and we'll make sure to bring it up in a future episode. Uh, Take these giddy free agency vibes of yours and let it flow through your thumbs by giving us a five-star rating because the more you rate interview us, that's how many more times Mark Gasol will have his two palms open and his two shoulders shrugged up, facing the sky after every foul call he disagrees with, mimicking exactly what Pau Gasol used to do when he was a Laker whenever he wanted to dispute a call. So if you'd like to see more of those mark pau mirrored mannerisms throughout the season, please rate and review us 5 stars on the Apple Podcast app. Lastly, if you'd like to support us in any small way financially, please go to patreon.com slash podcast and you can donate as little as a book and also get some exclusive content on the way as well. Um, all right, let's get into this. Um, let's start general first with regards to what an amazing bang-out job Palinka did. Again, it's unfathomable. Um, this was truly a one-of-a-kind offseason, and we're just going to lot over um, what Palinka did and, and give an account of how we were feeling as things unraveled and how, how this compares maybe to past free agencies. Um, so obviously, we started off with a bang, trading for Dennis Schroeder, honestly the first sort of transaction in the NBA at all. Uh, we only gave up the number 28th pick and Danny Green for someone younger at a greater position of need, given also what we knew about how much Rondo might command. Um, so Palinka set us up in a very favorable position even before free agency started with that move. Uh, Then, right as free agency started, we nabbed Wes Matthews for the biannual exception. Then, shortly after that, they got Trez Harrell to sign the MLE in spite of the fact that Trez had a larger offer from our good old friend Mitch Kupchak in Charlotte. Um, Palenka was able to trade JaVale McGee to the Cavs for a 2026 second rounder and somehow also got Jordan Bell and Alfonso McKinney. McKinney is going to stay on this team as an extra wing guy for us. And then they signed Marc Gasol to the vet minimum. And then today they re-signed Markeith Morris to the vet minimum. Um, I think for me, you know, Rob Palenka went into attack mode here. He wasn't complacent. He was aggressive. He attacked this offseason as if we had lost the championship. He went in for the jugular and finagled his way into some of the slickest maneuverings I've ever seen a GM make. Obviously having LeBron James and AD and Clutch helped tremendously, but I think the way he was able to work the cap gymnastics and the timing of operations and all the logistical things involved with freeing up space to be hard cap was, to me, truly some next level stuff. Uh, so, Tommy, what are, what are your thoughts overall about, you know, one after another, it seemed like plot twist upon plot twist and the story just kept getting better, which usually isn't the case. Especially if you go back to 1201 Mozgov calls, you know, it just pro- gets progressively worse. But this was the exact opposite. So talk to me about the job Rob Polinka did and just, I guess, how you felt as things were unraveling.
2: So going into um, going into the uh, off season, I guess we kind of predicted... I mean, we had a very various predictions, obviously, like everybody does, right? But I think, you know... We we kind of thought like okay maybe there's a chance they shake things up but I think for the most part guys are going to be back and I think you know over the course of the weeks leading into uh, free agency especially when the you know after the uh, season start date was announced and all the you know relevant deadlines were announced there's a massive speculation I mean you can go on Twitter and find any. You know, support for, like, somebody guessed that something was going to happen, you know, for every team, and, like, one of those things happened. It's just, like, so rampant speculation. And so we kind of thought that we went over pretty much every possibility, and it turns out that we, in fact, did not go over every possibility because Rob Mm -hmm. Polinka just, I mean, he came up with stuff that people did not even fathom would be possible. Like, he was literally making moves that, you know, cap experts like Pincus and Bobby Marks are on Twitter, like, I don't really understand how this happened, so there must be more detail. And then, like, 10 minutes later, it's like, oh, he must have used this weird, like, cap nuance, <laughs> you know, to save, like, an extra 100000 by doing this and X, Y, and Z. And it's just like, he... He was so creative in the moves that he was able to make. Like, for example, trading JaVale, right? I guess I'll go in order of, like, you know, watching things unfold. Um, You mentioned mentioned the Schroeder thing. Uh, We obviously watched the draft, you and all of us, and uh, we did, you know, we recorded after the draft. And it was, I don't know if it was a letdown, but we didn't do anything, right? Mm -hmm. And so we, I I didn't know necessarily to expect whether that would kind of set the tone for how things were going to go in free agency. And I sort of thought that, you know, Rob's got everything lined up. He's going to sign KCP. He probably knows who he's going to use or sign with the MLE. And I bet you, like, this is all just going to be announced, like, right at you know, 6 p.m. or, sorry, 3 p.m. Pacific at when the free agency opens. And free agency opens and we're, like, kind of waiting and waiting. And then, like, guys are coming off the board and we're kind of waiting and waiting. And when the Montrezl Harrell thing happened, dude, I just, like, I fell on the floor. I, I just, like, you couldn't – you nobody <laughs> in the world predicted that this was going to happen, you know? And it just kept going and going and slowly you started to see – his vision of the team, right? It's like, yeah, certain guys were. We obviously lost Danny before free agency started. Um, you know, certain guys that were part of our team, it sort of seemed like they were starting to move away. Like, oh, you know, talks are high on Rondo. AB is opting out. You know, like other pieces started moving away. And it's like, well, what's good? What are we going to do? Right. And mm-hmm. Montrez was just sort of like, such a shock and I was like I can't see how this gets crazier from here and it just kept getting crazier <laughs> you know what I mean like Brit, like Marcus All took an insane amount of cap creativity I mean Wes Matthews who I accidentally skipped over he was actually I think our first announcement he was. but
1: he you know he like He was the most predictable announcement, right? So when we got him, we're like, all right, so things are falling into place. And then it seemed like it was going to get predictable when Dwight Howard for literally a hot second was like, I'm back. All right, we're running it back. And then he's like, just kidding. Delete that ish. And then I think that's when the madness started, right? Because right after he deleted that, then news of Marc Gasol came about and we were like, oh, I thought this guy was going to Spain, right? Mm -hmm. The fact that the Lakers were even on his radar and vice versa, I guess we should have known that if there was any place that he would eschew Spain for, going back home for, it would be L.A. to be with his brother, right? But obviously caught us off guard. And then right after the Gasol thing, the rumors... The Trez thing happened, and I think all of us were just in a state of shock. And I just, yeah. I came up with this analogy on the spot, guys. Have you ever seen those genius artistic dudes who, like, make paintings in the sand or whatever? And you have no yeah, idea yeah. what the hell this dude is doing until they, like, reverse spin it or whatever or flip yeah, yeah, it vertically. Yeah. And then they show everybody, they pan out, and everybody's like, oh, <laughs> that's what it feels like Rob polinka has done, this fucking genius artistic man. <laughs> um, but t- Tommy, did you want to say anything else? Yeah, no,
2: I, I mean, it's just I, we all kind of thought we were gonna get a big man, and I think you know the rumor that was floating around was Ibaka, so we all kind of thought maybe it's gonna be Ibaka. I, Montrezl Harrell was not supposed to be anywhere remotely in our price range. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we stole them away from the Clippers made it that much more sweet. I'm gonna just have to be honest. It really, it really like heightens it for me that we we took them away from the Clippers because not only you know do we get a very very valuable piece for our roster at the price, but we took away like the only asset that the Clippers have left for like the next I don't know how many years that they traded like their picks for Paul George, right? So it it is just like everything ha- has been like. Everything has been almost, it feels almost too good to be true. Yes. Like when we signed Montrez, it's like, well, there's no way we're going to get Mark. And then we get Mark. And then it's like, well, there's no way we're going to get Mark Eve. And then we get Mark <laughs> And it's like, we have 10 legitimate NBA players who would be, like how many other teams in the league have 10 rotation players who 100% of those 10 guys would be rotation players on all other 29 teams in the NBA? It's like, I don't know that this has ever happened. Usually there's like one or two guys where it's like, ah, you know, they make it work with that guy. But yeah. it, we are so stacked right now. And the fact that we were able to do this while using the MLE, while like having minimal, you know, assets to work with really, um, while being hard capped, like it, it's just mind blowing.
1: Well, that's why I made that uh, Queen's Gambit analogy of Rob Palenka killing you with just his pawns. By the way, have you guys been watching Queen's Gambit? I have not. not seen it. Dude, sorry. you guys have to start it. It's so good. Anybody listening to this podcast, it's legit binge mode type stuff. Like once you start, and there's only like seven episodes. It's a limited series. There's no season two, but it's probably one of the best shows out there besides The Boys season two. So check out Queen's Gambit. Um, but with that said, Alan, your thoughts on what Palenka has done here and just the snowball of... Lady goodness that came about and this is these this offseason for the lakers is an offseason that's being universally praised by even their worst pundits and and critics and cynics you know the the best they could say at the start was yeah i don't know i think i'd still like danny green over uh, dennis schroeder on a championship team but that's without knowing exactly what was to come the domino effect of dominion and domination that rob palenka had planned so yeah your thoughts
0: Yeah, this is like, what have you done for me lately kind of approach as far as Rob is concerned, you know, and I mean, Mm -hmm. he said it, he said, uh, the easiest thing to do and the most dangerous thing to do is to get complacent, uh, and to just get comfortable. And I think when you think of Kobe, (laughs) right? Like at the end of any kind of championship, I mean, he's right back in the gym and, uh, he's already thinking ahead and considering what other organizations are going to do because everyone's coming at our heads now right if there mm-hmm. wasn't a target on our back before i mean now there really is right so mm-hmm. uh if you don't make significant i want to say changes necessarily but like upgrades right um you're already losing so Yeah, to see that play out is just freaking incredible. It says so much about our organization's culture, which is so sweet to just be able to say that definitively because, you know, you have people who talk about the teams who have great cultures, right? The Spurs, the Heat, the Patriots, et cetera. And, like, the Lake, we've been left out for quite some time now, right? And uh, we've totally re-entered, I would say, that conversation. We have to be mentioned um and as far as like just where i was at when all this was going down so i was working like all day saturday in a position where i could not check any (laughs) social media at all like i was interacting with human beings right for like eight hours on saturday um yeah dudes i missed out on like all of the live as it's happening kind of thing so i had to catch up on like whatever it was 12 hours of Twitter. Yeah, basically. Uh, so that was my Saturday night. <laughs> I was just like <laughs> scrolling through our group chat. Um, and, and just on Twitter catching up on everything. So it, it really came in a whirlwind for me. I didn't get any notifications on my phone, even like, you know, there's just nothing. I was like separated from the world.
1: You just got pummeled with a whole bunch of punches that you couldn't. It was insane, dude. It was
0: too fast. Like, I enjoyed it, you know, but like, I, I couldn't even let it breathe, right? You couldn't process, right? No, not at all. Trust the process. Trust the, Trust not the process. Being able to process.
1: So, you know, what Rob Palenka did this offseason, and we've had hints of this throughout his tenure with the Lakers, right, given the fact that. This past season was the only trade deadline where he didn't make a trade. And in lieu of that, he made the biggest buyout signing that he's ever had with Markeith Morris, right? So that was what he did instead of a trade. But prior to that, he's always made some sort of move at the trade deadline. So we've seen hints of the way that, literally, Rob Palenka likes to Rubik's Cube the future. This offseason it felt like he was absolutely in his bag, as the kids like to say. He <laughs> unloaded the freaking clip. Pop, 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 pop. Magnitude. Pop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. And oh my god, I think in the span of his first three years as a Laker GM or basketball head of basketball operations, whatever, it's like he took all of his previous moves, one up them, and, and decided to, you know, combine them all and consolidate them all into one three-day span. So I mean and and props again to bringing back KCP on a reasonable deal. We find out now that it's only for $12 million, which gives us more space under the hard apron to sign a 15th guy if we want to, or just keep that space open for a potential buyout guy in the future. And then I think KCP's third year is unguaranteed. Just such a favorable contract. And, And also the other thing I'll say about KCP is we're getting him in his prime years, ages 27 through 30 uh Marquise Morris is only 31 and he just came off a playoff run in which he led the team in three-point shooting shooting 42 (laughs) percent from three we're gonna have his early bird rights next year where we we can keep him long term if we so choose and just such shrewd smart negotiating by Palenka all around so it's important to keep the continuity with bringing KCP and Keith back and yeah, not enough can be said about Rob Palenka and what he did here. Um, we'll take it to break, and when we return, we'll get into the nitty-gritty of all these new guys. And, uh, yeah, just keep getting excited and lit. So Keep popping. Keep, keep pop-popping.
0: <laughs> How many people do you think know that reference, dude? <laughs>
1: hey, if you guys are community fans, let us know so we're not feeling alone here. All right, so we're back. We're going to go in order here. Let's start with Wesley Matthews, who... If you actually sift away through the madness, probably one of our most important acquisitions because even still up until this point, we don't have a lot in the name of wing defense and we needed very badly a Danny Green replacement. Um, so obviously when the, the Green and Schroeder deal happened, he was a guy who was rumored to have drawn interest from the Lakers. That ended up coming to pass. We, only, we signed him to the BAE, which is about $3.5 million, And he immediately slots into the hole Danny Green left. Um. Yeah, Tommy, what are your thoughts on, on Wesley Matthews at this price? I think pretty much one-fifth of the price of Danny Green.
2: Yeah, so I mean, I think it's an upgrade, actually. I don't think it's like, oh, we for the price, it's you know, it, you make it work. I think he's actually in many ways an upgrade. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you follow um, some of the guys on Twitter who get into like the real analytics of defensive matchups and, you know, individual defense uh, analytics are famously not that accurate or not that helpful I guess but Wes Matthews you know in terms of difficulty in terms of what he was doing defending uh for the Bucks last year he was consistently taking the best perimeter player on the other team the best wing player on the other team and shutting them down and he did that over an entire season his three-point shooting has taken like a little bit of a dip he's still a threat um and we'll see, I mean, how much he benefits from, you know, getting hopefully a lot of wide open corner threes above the break threes. Mm-hmm. Not that great, but, you know, Danny Green wasn't that great either. So I, I think for the price, it's it's an amazing move. Somehow, although we get a little bit older than Danny, we get a little bit faster. I mean, Danny, you know, the you know, famous yeah. T-Rex running in the uh, <laughs> in the bubble, like like, it just became a little hard to watch at times. I know he was injured, he was struggling, but, you know, he's... On a quick turnaround, is there any indication that he would have, you know, flipped it and, and gotten in great shape and gotten healthy? And I guess I shouldn't say shape. He's in fine shape. But, you know, gotten healthy to the point where he could clean all that stuff up, you know, in three weeks. I don't think so, you know. So Wes has been – had more time off. Um, he's a solid player, great length. He can guard twos and threes. He can guard quicker guys than Danny. We lose a little bit of height, but I don't know that it matters with Wes. I mean, he, he has mm-hmm. such a strong base. I mean, if I think at this point this stuff has gone pretty viral, but there are these clips of Wes guarding Kawhi last year.
1: Yes, sir. And
2: his ability to fight over screens is, like, absolutely insane. I mean, it's, like, quite jarring, actually, when you watch it, because I think that we had pretty good defenders last year, especially Caruso and KCP. Um, and... Wes Matthews gets over these screens like they're not even there it's like so crazy and like is able to get himself in a really good position and I you know we like you said we needed somebody to replace Danny I think of the wings he was probably the best option certainly for the price for what this team needed um in terms of being able to provide that that type of defense and being able to hit a shot and really we're not going to be asking him to do much else um so, you know, obviously fantastic signing in my uh, my opinion.
1: Yeah, not to hit Danny Green with, with the door on his way out, but someone right. um, replied to me on Twitter. I think at Herschel underscore, he wrote, yeah, Danny always looked like he did a heavy leg workout the day of the game. <laughs>
2: Oh yeah, I know. It's like you you have leg day the day before. He was doing that like weird run where you can't really stretch your legs.
1: (laughs) So I guess the best way to describe Wesley Matthews for me actually would be he's like a fusion of Danny Green plus Avery Bradley, you know, Mm because he's a little bit shorter, but he has like the physicality and strength that Avery Bradley had. But his body is, I guess, a little bit of Dion Waiters too. He's very bulky. He's got some spare change in that back pocket where if you watch those (laughs) clips against Kawhi Leonard – Kawhi Leonard's trying to do his back down move, move on him in the mid-range, and he's not gaining any you know, separation, and he's just, he just has to shoot over Wes. But because Kawhi, even though Wes is shorter than even KCP, because Kawhi felt that physicality to start off his move, his shot is kind of left for dead a little bit, or DOA upon once he shoots it, or he at least makes it more he at least makes it more difficult for Kawhi to get that shot off upon release even if it's above his head so um Alan what are your thoughts on Wesley Matthews who that I know it's just one game but during that December matchup against Kawhi held him to 5 of 14 shooting and really leveraged that hefty body and strength of his against Kawhi
0: yeah yeah um I mean, I was actually thinking about the game when we played Milwaukee, in Milwaukee the first time around. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think, I want to say LeBron might have had a triple-double, like 21-11-11, but 21, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I can't remember his exact shooting percentage from that game, but I was watching some highlights of it again. And Wesley Matthews played LeBron extremely well defensively. He came up with a key steal. Uh when we were making our comeback at the end, LeBron tried to cross him over. It might have just really gotten deflected off of LeBron's own shin, but Wes Matthews still stayed right in front of him. Um he is incredibly sturdy. Um I, mm-hmm. I really like your fusion of Danny Green, Avery Bradley, but for sure plus Deion Waiters, because <laughs> he's Yeah, he's not like chunky, like, you know, that makes you kind of think of like Glenn Davis or something, like a fat guy. <laughs> but um he's uh He's very, like, stout, mm-hmm. um, and, like, Danny Green used his height and his length, right, to defend people, and obviously his IQ as well, but I think that Wes Matthews is is such a huge defensive asset to us, um, so that's really exciting. And then offensively, I I was listening to uh, Pete and Darius and Trudell, and I think Trudell said that his lowest three-point percentage in any season in his career was, like, 36%. Yeah, that's freaking crazy. It is. Um, so I, I see him as definitely being like a trail three type of guy, um, being that wing who, is, who needs to be back uh, in transition defense just in case. But he could definitely knock that shot down. And um, despite his Achilles tear you know, several years ago, um, he's figured out a way to be extremely effective.
1: Yeah, for sure. And his defense surprisingly with his body is still very gritty and nasty. He really gets after it, you know, he's really a tough guy. But like Tommy said, he moves extremely well. Like he moves like Avery Bradley, really, which is crazy fighting over screens and whatnot. And then his shooting, his shot to me has always been super pure. Like, he's a stellar baseline three-point shooter, and that shot comes off his fingertips with ease and has beautiful arc. I'm most confident in him knocking down threes than anyone on this team from this from last year and this year, and that includes KCP. Um, he shot 36.4% from three in the regular season, hitting 1.6 a game, but he did hit 39% from three in the postseason, hitting 1.7 a game. And the one thing that I want to add is nice. that last year is probably the first year where he had a superstar like Giannis take up most of the attention. And granted, he was mediocre. I guess he's also had Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum in the past. But this year, he's going to have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And I don't think he's had, you know, gravity forces like those two ever before. Again, last year with Giannis was probably the closest extent. Now he has two of those guys. And then you add on top of that, just the added scoring punch that we have in Dennis Schroeder, who's going to cut defenses up and drive it into the lane. And he's going to be the most wide open he ever has. Granted, asterisk, asterisk, Lakers three-point curse. Let's put that all on nice. there. But if we can even just get the 36%, his worst shooting year, that'll be great for us. Um, okay, let's move on to the second signing that caught all of us off guard. Uh, was the biggest shocker of them all, one that no one could foresee coming. The Lakers signing reigning Six Man of the Year, Trez, with the full non-tax MLE almost immediately after Dwight signed with the Sixers. What almost simultaneously accompanied this signing were the rumors that the Lakers and Marcus Saul were mutually interested in each other. But this move in a vacuum when it first happened seemed to make the entire league stop. And for me, and I'll start with you, Tommy, first, but I did I actually didn't know how to react, positive or negative. I was just like, my mind was so blown that I needed like 10 minutes to be like, wait, first, how did this happen? Second, yeah. is this good or bad? Cause you know, we all wanted Ibaka. He seemed to be the better fit. And with Trez, you're just like, he was, wasn't in my radar first of all. And then second of all, I had not taken into account us bringing in a guy like him who doesn't necessarily space the floor for us. Defensively, he you saw him struggle with the Clippers but, you know, looking at the asset and just the price you got him at, you're just like, well, Polinka has to seize the moment. So you like that part about it. And then you're also like, but he was just a clipper. I've been hating this guy the entire year. But as I took a step back and just realized that this was just such a tremendous deal and you're tapping into some upside with this guy only being 26, that I don't think Polinka could pass up. And slowly, and then once those, you know, tweets came in from Clippers players being like, what the F, you know, <laughs> that made it all worth it for me. But yeah, Tommy, what are your thoughts on Trez and just trying to process it all, whether it was good, bad, it cetera. Yeah.
2: I think shock, right. When I saw it, I was like, this is has to, I mean, my first reaction was, this is a typo, you know, Los Angeles. And then he accidentally typed it was, I think Shams was the one I saw. And I was like, he must've just typed the wrong name by accident. Cause he had like another tweet queued up for the Lakers or something. Um, and if, you know, this year, of course, because everyone's in such a rush to be first, there were several mistakes and deletions and etc. So I was mm-hmm. like, "This is a mistake." But then more and more people started confirming it, and I was like, "What the hell is happening?" You know, and and so I think for me, I, I totally hear where you're coming from, and I think I kind of had a very similar initial initial reaction where I'm like, "Okay, what?" Because you you like you said, like it doesn't. It's not – like, Ibaka, you can see how he obviously fits. I mean, Ibaka fits on pretty much any team in the NBA who's trying to play, like, normal 2020 basketball, right? But Trez requires, like, a certain system almost. And, you know, it just didn't really make sense at first. But I think it's so funny because, like I was saying earlier, right, there's three weeks of speculation leading – or multiple weeks. I don't know if it's three – of speculation leading into free agency, it feels like we've kind of gone through every single option, deeply researched and analyzed how they might fit, looked at all their stats (laughs) and advanced stats. And Montrez was not one of those guys, right? Our last memory of him was just completely blowing it in the bubble, right? And there were extraneous circumstances that were probably a huge, huge factor for that. But that's our last memory. And so once you kind of sift, like, put all that away, though, and really dig in... It just like it, it became really apparent what they were kind of looking for here, right? It's we came off a championship. We had a kind of an aging roster. You see the age, ages of the guys who left. Danny Green, I don't know his age, but he's you know getting up there. Rondo and and uh, Howard are both in their mid thirties. Um, we had some older guys on the team. J.R. Smith, obviously mid thirties. We had uh, several older guys on the team, and so you kind of think like, well, actually, in hindsight. Did the bubble help the Lakers last year? What Did the fact that we had a three-month gap in the middle of the season where LeBron could just recharge after carrying us for months, right, to the number one seed in the West, did that help us? And how much, on the other hand, does it hurt us to have a only, you know, month-and-a-half, two-month turnaround into the next season where the rest of the league got like a full normal break? Montrez, um, and then you start to understand the logic a little bit more montrez gives you this younger guy who has an endless motor i mean i don't care he could have ended the season yesterday and he'd be ready to go for a new season tomorrow right endless motor you know new energy and you start to you know combine that with the schroeder move and you're like oh wow they really really are concerned about we need to we already know now because we've seen it happen what LeBron and AD will do once we get them to the uh, playoffs in a favorable position as like, you know, preferably, obviously the bubble didn't really matter for, you know, seating, but as a, as, a, especially as a one seed when the home games and all that stuff comes back, we've seen what AD and LeBron can do. Now the question is how are we going to get them there without, you know, you can't plan for a break. So probably there's not going to be a break this year. So how do we get them there rested, and put them in a position to do it again. And I think you start to see why the Harrell thing makes sense. Um, I think Harrell is going to surprise a lot of guys. Like, we, we need to keep in mind, right, there's a lot of hindsight bias that occurs when a team wins a championship. Like, for most of the season and, frankly, before the season, like, we were all kind of cautiously optimistic about how things could go there were a lot of people who had some serious doubts, right? And they were not necessarily unjustified. Of course, you're going to get the trolls who are like, the Lakers are going to be a bottom four seed, right? We kind of we kind of thought like, okay, they're probably going to be better than that. But nobody thought that they were going to be as good as they were, right? Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, I guess all of this is a long way of saying it, it's, a, it's a crazy shock at first. But when you start to really think about how Harold Fitz... I think it becomes more and more obvious why we went after him, what he can bring to this team, and some of the issues that I think he had with the Clippers that you know, caused him to not maybe find the market that he was hoping for this summer, I think he's we're going to see this year that those aren't as big a weaknesses as we think, um, mm-hmm. or as a lot of people think. And I think Harrell is... He is going to come out – there's a reason this dude was looking for like a 15 to $20 million annual contract, right? Like he's very, very talented, and I think he's going to come out and show exactly that. And of course, taking him away from the Clippers is just extra icing on the cake because like I said, I, I mean Paul George and all these guys, they're so transparent, right? Paul, There was all this stuff about Paul George like – I mean I, I can't remember who wrote this article. Maybe you guys remember, but at the end of the season there was some article – end of the Clipper season. There's some articles about the Clippers' implosion and, you know, reports from the locker room. This might have been leaked by Trez, actually. Reports from the locker room about, you know, (laughs) Paul George telling everybody, you know, we got to stick with it. Everybody needs to come back and we're going to go at it again. And Trez, like, rolled his eyes, right? Because Paul George is so transparent. The reason, like, the only reason he wanted Trez to come back is because it's a tradable asset for this team. He obviously is not a fit on this team, you know? So it, it just, like... You know, Trez clearly saw that and wanted to get out. He clearly wasn't happy with the Charlotte offer that, you know, they were giving. And he has a lot to prove because although he had a phenom, I mean, when you look at his numbers from last year, even defensively, right, I, you know, he had a phenomenal, phenomenal year. But unfortunately, the recency bias of how he looked in the bubble, I think greatly, greatly affected his market. And he's going to come out with a lot to prove. It's a contract year for him. And I'm just, I, I can't be more excited about this signing.
1: Totally agree. To put into context, his struggles in the playoffs. Obviously, he only like averaged like 10 points, like two rebounds, which is ridiculous. Um, Obviously, he got eaten up on defense, playing drop coverage, which wasn't a place that he probably should have been put in. And also, he was played at at center for pretty much all of his minutes last year. I don't know if that's the smartest thing to do. Um, On top of that, uh, you know, I think. His grandmother died, right? I forget whether or not he actually had COVID. I just know that he went to the bubble late. Um, And so, yeah, I just think he's going to be utilized much better under Vogel and around LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Uh, If you look at what LeBron did with a guy like Tristan Thompson, who is probably, (laughs) what, 70% of who Montrez is, I less, mean,
2: offensively less. Offensively
1: yeah. less, for sure. You, you, I mean, your mind goes like different wild places, knowing that this guy, on his own, av- has seasons, multiple seasons of averaging eighteen points and seven rebounds. You know, um, and we're we're just a season removed from him a- averaging eighteen points, five rebounds, two assists, shooting seventy three percent versus the Warriors. You know, um, so Montrez Harrell, he's a six eight guy with a seven foot four wingspan, with an incredible motor. His handles and his ability to break big men off the dribble is incredible. He's incredibly agile, mobile, and such a great finisher with great touch in the paint. As a roll man off pick and rolls, he is absolutely devastating, and the assault he puts on the rim is unfair and nasty. Also, he's a fairly good passer, making fundamentally sound reads on the move. You know, I mentioned he averages almost like two assists a game um, for multiple seasons. So my comp for Trez is... He reminds me of Julius Randle. If Randle had four <laughs> inches added onto his wingspan and played with more of Larry Nance Jr.'s mentality in oh. terms of just staying in his lane and being a relentless utility cleanup guy versus being the man. So obviously his ability to break man off uh, his man off the dribble is very reminiscent of Randle, um, and they also have the same motor. But when it comes to actually finishing, because he has that seven foot four wingspan. It's no contest, dude. This guy is like a 60% career shooter from around the basket. And I think just his infusion of athleticism, strength, and bulldog mentality is so welcome on this team, especially in Dwight's absence, right? So it's almost like you don't miss anything from that respect. Um, and also there's the Phil Handy angle. I mean, can you imagine Phil Handy working with this guy? Alan, add your thoughts on Montrez Harrell.
0: Um... Honestly, you guys kind of said it all. Um, (sighs) Say it again. No, 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 no. All of you. You all said it all. Just Just say it again. Um, Dude, the way he wants to rip the rim off the backboard every single freaking time he dunks. Like, who else did that besides, like, Shaq? I'm sure, like, you know, there are plenty that I, I can't think of off the top of my head. But he makes a concerted effort to put an exclamation mark every single time he he yams it on somebody and uh
1: yams for thanksgiving
0: <laughs> that's one of those like it's not an intangible thing it's it's like almost the definition of tangible right um in terms of energy and all that kind of stuff and like he's an energy guy who is extremely skilled um so when you package that together yeah it's it's so freaking exciting um i guess to kind of circle back to what my initial reaction was yes totally shocked mm-hmm. um and then i think my my second thought just because of like the competitive nature and the vitriol for the clippers was you know screw the clippers like i was so happy um just on that front alone and then yeah to think about the the basketball impact of course um i've been eating up plenty of highlights as i'm sure like everybody's been doing because it's like i gotta watch it through like a laker lens now because before it wasn't It definitely was not an objective lens watching Mm Montrezl Herald. It was through a clipper hater lens. Um, So it's (laughs) like I can really, really appreciate everything he did without like getting pissed as he was doing it um his, yeah his ball handling skills are phenomenal for a freaking big mm-hmm. um like you said yeah. I, I love the the Julius Larry kind of comp because it's everything that Julius wanted to be <laughs> in terms of like breaking guys <laughs> off the dribble but it just didn't really work out you know um Trez has a really tight handle
1: mm-hmm. and
0: uh, when he gets mix- mismatched against plotting bigs you know which is gonna happen um his ability to just drive past them, Right at the he moves attack. fast. Those rip Dude. throughs, like
1: boom, boom. Oh yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. It's He's crazy. got those like fast twitch muscles going for sure.
1: Always faces up like Randall, but does not take that hesitant, you know, like jab, jab that no, Randall used no, to do. No. He, he just went. Decisive. He just goes.
0: Very, just very goes. decisive, and, and you just feel comfortable watching him. You know, you're not at all like, oh god, here we go. So I think what <laughs> I'm looking forward to is just okay. So we could throw it down to Anthony Davis, right, and like clear it out, let him go to work obviously braun is that guy well guess what now trez is that guy too which is freaking crazy so um it's surreal dude it's it's yeah, awesome it is. yeah
2: i, I want to say one thing one more thing about trez is like because you know the randall comp i think is a fair one in some ways but for a guy who plays it's almost like when you see highlights of him your initial reaction it's kind of like watching randall highlights you're like oh this guy must be oc like a lot mm-hmm. Let me just say that Montrezl Harrell for how high his usage is, which this is something I saw in like a recent Pete tweet. Um, his usage is like twenty five percent or some. Cra- it's right. like pretty high. Yeah. He's not just catching on the roll and dunking or yeah. catching no, mobs and no. dunking. He's doing a lot of stuff himself. This full average ha- one half. 0.5 more turnovers per game than Dwight did last year, and playing 10 more minutes per game and doing a lot more offensively per game. Like, totally. he just, he's yeah. very, very, very skilled. It's not just he's a wrecking ball who's going to run everybody over and he gets a lot of the charges and, you know, all this. If anything, I, you know, again, I was saying, like, I think his defense is going to surprise a lot of people. He is, was second in the NBA last year in charges drawn, which is crazy for somebody his size, right? And he, had two and a half times more charges drawn than Anthony Davis had, who was the highest on our team. So it it just like when you look at everything with this guy, again, I think it's so easy to fall into the trap of looking at what he, how he looked in the bubble and be like, Oh, what exactly did we get? But he averaged 17 points a game last two seasons ago. He averaged almost 19 points a game last season off the bench. He last year against the Warriors, he averaged 18 plus points a game and shot 73% from the field in that playoff series where they took the Warriors to six against their elite defense. He had one bad series. You know, Jonathan alluded to it. His grandma died. His grandma, like, raised him very, they were very, very close. He didn't come into the bubble until, like, two days, you know, less than a week before the first round started and then he had to quarantine and then he was kind of getting thrown in there with spot minutes and never really got his rhythm. Don't want to make too many excuses because he just didn't look good, but I am going to say that was an anomaly, right? And and I'm going to say that when he is paired up with these other guys who, you know, when he was with the Clippers, you know, yeah, he played a lot of his minutes at the center. He's going to play a lot of his minutes at the center with this team as well, but... We have other guys who... The, when he was playing with the Clippers, his perimeter defense was like Lou Williams. You know what I mean? Patrick Beverly's already on the bench. Like he's playing with like Lou Williams and whoever their backup guard, other guard was. And you know, not to, not so many minutes with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, where you know those guys are covering for his deficiencies. And guess what? The Clippers were the number six seed, or, you know, number six team in defensive efficiency last year with Montrez playing damn near thirty minutes a game at center for them. He obviously is able to do some stuff, and I think vote. Scheme the fact that we're going to have defensive guards on the floor with him, uh, and defensive wings with Kuzma and other height with Markeev to you know cover up some of the. Def- I mean, Markeev was playing small ball center for us last year, right? So when we have the all those guys on the floor with Montrez, I think it's going to bring out the best in him. I'm just so lit on the signing. Dude. Yeah, this is, well, this look, is like.
1: <laughs> no, I have more to add because you know obviously he won six men of the year. He also won the. Hustle Award, and a guy who hustles like that and is rabid is the perfect fit for this Lakers team, which at its most optimal level is whizzing to and fro. You know they're covering so much ground laterally, up and down in transition, etc. But on top of that, you know if there was one weakness of Trez's that you know just looking at the box score superficially that I could see was just like yo, why does this dude not get any rebounds? You know, I'm like, how come everything Mm -hmm. is just like six rebounds for a guy this big? And looking at his like hustle stat awards um, through March 11, he ranked at or near the top of numerous hustle categories, including defensive box outs, which makes a whole ton of sense now. You know, he was first in defensive box outs. Charges drawn, he was first. All box outs, any box outs, offensively included, he was fourth. Contested shots, 11th, and Harrell ranked 28th in screen assists and 31st in offensive box outs as well. So you put that on the Lakers team with Anthony Davis and LeBron James, and it's over. I mean, maybe it's not over, but, you know, we're, we're getting to that point. Um, but, yes, we'll get into more Trez as we move along, but I want to end this episode with a very poetic signing, you know, um, in Mark Gasol. A return home of sorts for number 52nd pick, number 48th pick. I forget what pick Marcus Saul was. I think 52nd, right? Or 58. I should have looked this up. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> 100th pick. One of
2: those.
1: Yeah. A return home of sorts for Marcus Saul as he finally gets to don the jersey of the team that first drafted him and then traded him away in exchange for his brother Pow. He now gets to live in LA with Pow as well. Some cool tidbits. Marcus Saul gets reunited with Lionel Hollins, who they were both with the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, And then, you know, obviously Gasol unfortunately missed Danny Green, former Raptors championship mates. But I think Marc Gasol also reunites with Phil Handy. I think they may have been together for one year because I think Phil Handy was looking after Siakam and we may not have had him yet. Uh, I may be mistaken in that respect, but regardless, um, I think with Marc Gasol coming in, I I think He was so sorely needed on this team, especially with the absence of Dwight. Obviously, we lose verticality, and he's more of a ground-bound sort of player, and we lose some athleticism, but we gained such a more intelligent groundbound game from a defensive and offensive perspective, especially when it comes to playmaking and stretching the floor. So, Alan, what are your thoughts on Mark Gasol? It's been a long time since we've had a Gasol in a Lakers jersey, but what a way to bring things back full circle, you know what I mean?
0: <clears throat> yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, we all know what he does, like, on the floor, and we know the type of player... He's evolved into um, the first things that come to mind are basketball IQ, right? And if you were to make a list of the top basketball IQ, savant, super genius dudes in the league, I mean, you got Rondo, obviously, but mm-hmm. I feel like Marcus Gasol is right up there. And the fact mm-hmm. that we have a guy with uh, so much wisdom, right, who, who he can bring that to any team, be a coach on the floor type of guy, um, on the bench, in the locker rooms, um, just to have, again, that breadth of knowledge, uh, I think is so, so important for this team. And, um, I can't wait to see him chugging champagne in a parade. That's like the other thing that comes to mind is him just absolutely plaster drunk after Toronto won the championship <laughs> on those double decker buses. Um, but you know, his passing game as well is something that, um, is going to be so freaking fun to watch. I mean, with all the versatility that we have on this team, all the weapons and he can just be feasting, you know, with his court vision at the top of the key. Um, the fact that he could be a playmaker in that type of way, he's like a pass first type of center. You know, I don't know how many times I've seen him at the three point line, pretty much wide open, but he's still looking everywhere else. And because he's such a threat, defenders are just left in no man's land all around. And he could drain that three. Um, so, yeah, it's it's super sweet to get him. And um, it, it's that weird Lakers exceptionalism in a way where it's like, I feel like this just has to happen. Like Marcus has <laughs> yep. to become a Laker at some point because, you know, we drafted him in the trade and all that stuff. He'll, he'll probably end up back here because that's the way the universe is supposed to go. So, uh, yeah, those are the things that I'm, I'm excited for with with Mark.
1: So the Lakers drafted him with the 48th overall pick, so I had it right the first time, I just yeah. second-guessed yeah, myself. Yeah, yourself, I mean, you, me- you mentioned the like, basketball savantness of things and how that resembles Rajon Rondo, and that's important because Rondo is not on this team anymore, so Marcus Saul can sort of fill that aspect of things. But I think, taking it a step further, is he not only sees the game on a genius spectrum, um, but he also plays it that way, plays it the right way as opposed uh, to Rondo fair, where Rondo fair. can kind of get haywire at times where Marc Gasol on the other end, is he'll get perturbed if things aren't running smoothly And guys don't have their fundamentals and basics together while he's out there on the court because he's usually the guy who sets the tone for those other players, you know, where Rondo, it can be OC and you're not sure what his mindset is at any one moment because he wants to make the flashy pass. Marc Gasol will always make the right read and we've seen from history's past or Lakers history past with Pau Gasol and Andrew Bynum, that high-low game, it's going to be that exact same thing but amped up with Marc Gasol and Anthony Davis and the way that he runs to the baseline in transition to clear the lanes for anybody who's running. this guy knows his game he knows he's, he doesn't need to run the floor and like dunk it let me just space it for everybody else and run to the baselines and hit this open three um, he's obviously going to have great chemistry with Caruso because they're both such intuitive no frills sorts of players and I think he's going to bring Kyle Kuzma to life because Kyle Kuzma running off of Marc Gasol is giving me goosebumps. I think Mark yeah. will love playing with a guy like Kuzma, who's just moving all the time. I mean, some at times this season, Kuzma ran futilely, you know, because no one got in the ball. I'm like, that sucks, dude. Um, but you can bet Mark's going to find him. And look, I know he looked washed in the playoffs. He only averaged like six points, four rebounds, 2.6 yeah. assists on bad percentages. but he'll be on a much more balanced team that will require him to do much less and, fo- and allow him to focus on his main strengths. And even yeah. with that and losing Kawhi Leonard in the regular season, he still averaged 7.5 points, 6.3 rebounds, 3.3 assists, shooting 38% from three on hitting 1.3 a game in 26 minutes. Pretty much comparable to Dwight Howard, right? But with Mark, you gain so much more offensive versatility and spacing and don't really lose out on the defensive end. It's just a different look defensively. So Tommy, really quickly, two minutes on Marc Gasol.
2: Yeah, so I think for Mark, we're looking for Dwight Howard style defensive impact. But like honestly, on a JaVale McGee budget in terms of timeline, like timing that he's gonna play per game, Jail. JaVale- You know, Mark played 24 minutes a game last season for the Raptors. That's a lot of minutes, and not only, if you watch his highlights, not only was he playing 24, 26 minutes a game, he was a focal point of, like, what they're trying to do. That was not a very offensively gifted team. You know, we're talking about Pascal Siakam, who has a questionable jump shot. I mean, but he's at least an all-star. But after him, it's a steep drop. You have Kyle Lowry getting up there in age not the most you know explosive offensive player fred van Vliet, not the most explosive offensive player like a bunch of these middling type of guys and they actually re- relied on mark to do a lot and maybe play outside of his comfort zone Mark on this team needs to play like 16 to 20 minutes a game. We signed Montrez Harrell to play him, and he's going to play a lot. He played 28 minutes a game last year for the Clippers. He might not play quite as much, but he'll be in that ballpark this year um, with this team. When you couple that with Mark, you're thinking like, 15, 16, you know, somewhere between 15 and 20, whatever it is, it's going to be a significant minutes drop for Mark. And I think that's going to keep him a little more fresh. And then, of course, you fill in the extra minutes with some 80 at the five, which we did last year. So Mm -hmm. Mark brings, you know, the Dwight toughness and and, and just pure brute physical stature that we kind of lose uh, from getting rid of Dwight but he brings a whole new dynamic offensively and you know beyond the stretching the floor which everybody knows we have he's a big man who can make free throws he doesn't get to the line very often but he can make the free throws he is an amazing passer and i want to say like not just at the high post he is the only guy we have and we didn't have anyone like this last year at all but when you run a screen with Marcus Saul and he slips and you pass it to him as the roll man he has the ability to stop in space and either take the little mid-range jumper yes. or create a pass for somebody else we did not have that flexibility with either JaVale or Dwight last year it had to be a lob for JaVale and it had to be a pass to, to Dwight close enough to where he could just catch it and go up and finish it and often it led to like wild layups if this floor spacing wasn't correct or you know whatever but Mark can do so many. He can catch it. He can finish it at the rim. He can catch it and stop in space and take a short jumper. He could catch it, not do anything and just make a pass to a cutter. I think that's what, you know, to your point with Kuzma, I think that's where they're going to really click together. Um, it it really works. You worry about his durability, uh, being able to, you know, sustain himself for a season. Um, but, you know, if, if they are able to get over that hurdle, it just adds a completely new dynamic and, I mean, we, we were praying for a center like this to come start for us all last year, and we finally got one.
1: Yeah, so he's not going to be as exciting as like a JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard alley-oop dunk but the exciting part is going to be whoever gets his pass on the opposite end you know whoever he is passing to
2: just imagine the dwight i mean the pick and roll with mark and lebron first of all these two <laughs> huge behemoths okay coming at you and and like the defender is going to totally lose lebron behind mark and then he's going to and lebron's going to pass it to you know bounce pass to mark and mark is going to throw a lob to ad like yeah. it's going to be it's going to be automatic
1: what will, if you remember when we had lamar O- uh, Lamar Odom, Lamar <laughs> Bynum and Powell—they used to run yeah. pick and roll with each other as big yeah. men. They were setting screens for each other and rolling because each Loved one it. of them could sort of pass and finish. And that's yeah, kind of what wait. it's gonna be like. What would you saying? pick and roll, dude. <laughs> it's gonna be, so it's gonna be no, they're, they're gonna do that, you know. And you know, for Marcus All, I love these comps, by the way. For me, at this stage of his career, he's like a later version of Brad Miller, but still with. Fundamentally, oh, yeah. yeah, fundamentally sound defense, right? And yeah, it's going to be crazy. I have another comp for uh, Trez, but it's like an old school comp. Antonio McDice, if anybody oh, remembers how yeah. powerful yeah. McDice was, uh, didn't yeah. really have a jump for shot, sure. but you for know, sure. took it to the rim. Um, all right, that'll do it for this episode. Uh, oh, actually, we need to talk about Trez Tinkle. 6'7", uh, good size, can shoot from the outside, not as efficiently as you'd hope, but he gets it up, can pass the ball, play make well. Luke Kennard, Joe Ingles, worst case, a shorter Ryan Kelly? Those are my thoughts on Trey Trinkle. <laughs> what about you, Alan? Trey. <laughs> Trey? Uh, I'll,
0: I'll take Joe Ingles, Might Put some shrimp on oh, the body. There you go.
1: All right, we'll leave it there. We'll have a second episode where we talk about the Lakers team more holistically and, and what we think this, uh, how we feel about the new identity that they're constructing here. But with that said, we'll leave it there. Please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. And please also rate and review us five stars on the Apple Podcast app. Guys, it is lit and pop, pop. Pop, pop. Tommy, give me your best pop, pop. Pop, pop. I don't know if that's probably trademarked, but you know what? Uh, I'll catch you guys later. Peace.